0: Hello and welcome to this episode of Planning Ahead. My name is Zach and today we have a special episode coming full circle to our first ever conversation a year ago. This podcast series began with an interview with the Pride Network co-chairs at the global law firm Sherman & Sterling and I'm delighted to be talking to James once again as well as new co-chair Al. Hi both, thank you so much for joining me. It's great to see you again James, lovely to meet you Alistair. I thought we could start just by... um, summarizing what you both do at Sherman and Sterling and kind of give those listening a sort of brief overview of your your roles here.
1: Sure thing. Well, I am a senior associate, uh, James. Uh, I'm in the disputes team together with Al. I'm on the litigation side of things. So in short, what I do on a day-to-day basis is litigate. Um, uh, so yeah, all sorts of contentious processes really um and and that's my day job and then sort of well and uh, my dual day job is as co-chair of sterling pride together with al so um yeah that's why we're that's why we're here
2: today to talk about that sort of the work that we do in that sort of capacity um but yeah that's me Hi, everyone. Uh, my name's Al. Um, so I'm, as, as James mentioned, I'm a, a, another senior associate in the firm. I'm in our international arbitration team, which is, uh, again, a bit a bit kind of like court litigation, but we, um, uh, with a bit more of a kind of international focus. Um, I, I've been at the firm for just under two years. Before that, I kind of practiced as a lawyer um, at another firm for, for the best part of a decade. Um, and yes, I am one of, J- uh, I'm James's co-chair on the Sterling Pride uh, network.
0: Brilliant, thank you both. Um, I thought we could start with you yourself, Alistair. Um, obviously, we spoke with uh, James um, last year, sort of talking about the role that Sterling Pride has at the um, at the company. So I thought perhaps you could kind of give sort of brief description of how you got into the the, the Pride Network, and then sort of how you sort of consequently became co chair more recently.
2: Sure. Um, so, I mean, I, I pretty much got involved with Sterling Pride from day one. So um, I was involved in the LGBT network at my previous firm. I was sat on the, uh, the sort of leadership committee for that um, with a particular responsibility for the pro bono work that we were doing. And so I was really keen that in my new role, in my new job, I carried on doing that work and that I was helping to... Um, uh to kind of effect change and create uh create create the right sort of circumstances for people to flourish in 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 my new my new job as well. Um so I sort of joined the firm and uh, was very, very keen to get involved uh, from the start. Um and then uh Jonathan who some of you might remember from the podcast last year he uh he left the firm probably about eight or nine months ago now and so when he left um I basically took t- took on uh, his role as as co chair um uh, as I say, I mean, that was something that I was really keen to do. Uh, the, the short answer for kind of why I got involved was because I love doing this work. I think it's really important. I think it's rewarding. It's educational. It's also quite a lot of fun. Um, and we have an ability to kind of affect change within our organization and, and potentially beyond that. So um, that was, you know, I, I see my role as as sort of helping to make, make those changes uh, incrementally internally. So that's, yeah, that's, I guess, how I became
0: involved. Yeah, absolutely. Um, For yourself, James, what do you sort of see as kind of the ways in which perhaps the role or the aims of the Pride Network have kind of changed in the the year or so since we last had a conversation?
1: Yeah, interesting question. I mean, sort of the great thing about having Al on board is that he was sort of already totally in sync with all the sorts of ideas and the change that we want to sort of help be part of bringing about and, and the things that we want to do. So in that sense, it's sort of been a seamless transition and we've been able to carry on with all our sort of strategic goals and the things things we wanted to do. So I'd sort of emphasize, sort of point to a couple of things in particular. One thing we're keen to do more of as a network and something that I'm personally keen to do more of as well myself is, uh, you know, just direct collaboration really with other DNI networks within the firm. We, we sort of, we're, we're, we're good at doing this at Sherman already. Like we have fireside chats with with other networks and, and members and chairs of other networks from time to time for the sort of benefit of the, the, the wider firm on key issues. Um, so, so we're sort of continuing to do more of that collaboration, but not just, in events, but sort of embed it more into the actual sort of at network level, um, and 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 really just be aligned with the other networks on our strategic DNI type goals. Um, so, so that's sort of one one theme um, that's sort of come out even more over the past twelve months, I'd say. Um, another thing we're keen to do more of, which which again is a real big collaboration piece, is collaborating with clients, um, particularly client client events uh because DNI is equally important to all of our clients as it is to us um so that's that's sort of a, it's really good good space for us to find having done having done you know the legal work for them the legal service a great job there it's kind of a, it's quite a nice space to find with clients to actually find common ground outside of sort of your legal head to to um you know to to further DNI goals so yeah those are the two two that i'd focus on in particular in terms of uh, so, so no change of direction but sort of two things in particular we're focusing on sort of as much or even more than 12 months ago
0: yeah absolutely and i think you know dni is sort of a component of the corporate sector that it's taken a while to sort of um be taken seriously and you know form into these um networks that you have you have the, the pride network that you both co-chair and then obviously the various other networks within within the company. But what do you think that the catalyst was really in the last sort of few years that has really kind of sparked this explosion of focus and interest and legitimacy of, of d and um, within sort of Sherman and Sterling, but sort of the the, the legal and corporate sectors as a whole?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. I think it's definitely true that DE and I are now sort of super high on the agenda for, for, for many, if not sort of most most big companies. Um, and I think from my perspective, there's there's probably a few sort of factors which are, which are, are driving it, really. I guess I think the, the first is that, you know, ultimately sort of companies are reflective of society. So as society has changed and as society has put a greater emphasis on um, the importance of, of, of diversity equity and inclusion i think i think companies have done that as well um, and, and sort of a, a similar point really is that ultimately companies are employee driven you know they're they're full of people and they're really made up of the people who work there and i think over time the expectations of employees within companies have also changed as well and so you know com- companies kind of have to um, focus on de and i because the people within the company believe that it's important, and it believe that it's sort of an integral part of of corporate values nowadays. So I think it's uh, you know there's th- there's kind of two two points there. The first is that you know companies are really made up of people, and the second is that companies have to sit within a societal structure which has started to recognise the importance of of DE and I more in the mainstream. And um, I, th- I think the, the other kind of things that are driving it are data. Um, you know, companies generally have much better data nowadays, they have management information, which is is great, because, uh, you know, they can be held to account for that. But they can also target their resources towards making sure that they are um, putting, you know, putting resource into the right places. And one of those places is, is, is DE&I. The other point from data is that lots of companies have realized that, you know, diversity and inclusion are really good for business, um, partly because you have motivated staff, but partly because having you know diverse opinions and lived experiences within an organization is much better for decision making and i think that's something which is you know pretty pretty clear now from from um from you know all the scientists that look into this sort of stuff it's it's you can't you can't really kind of argue with it from a data perspective so there's a couple of other points there and i think finally um i think lots of people have just recognized that it's the right thing to do and it's it's kind of hard to put a value on that but you know I've, I've worked in a number of different organizations during my career and I think there is a sort of corporate recognition I think that w- we shouldn't just be sort of reflective of society we should really be driving change as well and that we have a a, a sort of key role within society to, to push forward change and to um, represent the views of our employees and to make sure that the world is a place where they can flourish um, you know uh, but both within the kind of walls of our own organizations and beyond. So I think I think there's sort of lots of things that are coming together um to 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 help post um you know diversity, equity and inclusion goals with within organizations, but also across kind of sectors generally.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and James, you were talking earlier about the sort of um increased aim and emphasis on collaboration, whether that be with sort of mm. other internal networks or with um partners and clients that the company works with. What do you think the the benefit is of this sort of emphasis on collaboration and you know recognizing those cross sections and that sort of intersectional approach to to EDI um obviously with your sort of primary focus on the the pride network
1: yeah that's an interesting question i mean i think yeah intersectionality i mean it really is a thing now like people recognize recognize it as a concept um and that it actually means means something because I suppose one of our sort of one of our goals as a network <clears throat> is to sort of broaden inclusion within the network itself, i within all aspects of LGBT and then I, I, and Q as well. Um, and because I think I, I think so, you, I think you can almost have intersectionality within LGBT in that sense because you you know you can have someone who might fall into more than one category within there and then you've obviously got sort of you know sort of um racial issues as well and then sort of social mobility background issues so and i think we're really as a firm looking to build up well we've we've now got sort of networks internal sort of dni networks that focus on a lot of these areas so i think collaborating together is is sort of necessary really because actually going back to what Al was saying about data I think that really is a big pillar of what's driven change because you just can't argue with hard facts and and data and sort of I think as um you know people in these positions internally as co-chairs of DEI networks I mean in some ways you are sort of the custodians of of you know gathering the data and encouraging people to fill in forms like the stonewall form and things like things like that and and sort of annual you know um, diversity question is where actually all this data comes out and and it and just sort of go back to what Al was saying it has been the case over the past sort of five five to ten years really of a lot of things coming together where seeds that have been sown maybe for sort of 10 20 years plus and now coming together where we've got sort of you know we've got the the data that's finally being sort of farmed which actually gives sort of proof to the you know proof proof to the reality that society's changed because it's just sort of identity self identifying um in, in a much more diverse way than it was but but it's sort of circular because you only know that because you've got people who now feel comfortable enough to say in even in an even in anonymous form, "Oh I am trans or I am bi or i'm gay so so I think the role of collaboration, it's really like a self. Because we are sort of, you know, it sounds a bit cheesy, but we are stronger together. So I see it really as a sort of self-reinforcing kind of, um, you know, collaboration with, with, all, with all the affinity, um, uh, you know, and kind of, dare I say, you know, minority kind of networks, really, to sort of come together to keep sure, to, well, to ensure we keep making this, this progress that, that we have that's, that's really, over the past
2: five, ten years, really started to finally, you know, bear, bear quite a lot of fruit. And I think what, maybe one thing that I'd kind of add to that is, I mean, ultimately, what we're kind of trying to do in our, in our role as network chairs is, is make sure that our firm is a place that's full of interesting and interested people who work at all levels of seniority from top to bottom and who come to work each day feeling entirely comfortable and confident with Every part of themselves, and they can have you know the opportunity and support to be exactly who they want to be in the office. And I think we are very cognizant of the fact that you know that we're kind of helping people, not characteristics. And one of the things that we want to do is make sure that we as as, as a firm, we as people, are equipped to identify and break down any barriers to a diverse, equitable, and inclusive workplace, both kind of structurally on a day to day basis. And so to to be able to be able to do that, to be able to identify what those barriers are and break them down, we need to have an intersectional approach, because those barriers are, you know, for an individual person are going to have, they're going to touch on lots of different parts of that person's personality or that person's identity. And so if we all kind of sit in our individual boxes and say, okay, well, I'm going to help, you know, um, Alistair. Um, I'm going to help, uh, uh you know, tr- try and break down barriers to a, a white middle-class gay man in the office. Then that's going to be very different to some of the other members of our community. And so, you know, that's something that we're, we're very aware of and that we want to make sure that we're doing, and that we have that intersectional approach and that we're working with all the other networks so that we properly understand the actual sort of practical touch points for people, um, and properly support them to be, you know, comfortable and confident in every part of themselves in the office.
0: Yeah, that's great thank you so much guys um i think it's worth now sort of talking about perhaps the sort of um how do you kind of keep up with you know the ever-changing emphasis of edi but also making sure that the events the initiatives the aims of the network are all encompassing of the entire community
2: well
1: I'd, i'll i'll sort of get get going and then I'll, I'll can add what he thinks but yeah, I mean, and it kind of goes, goes again, sort of harking back to that intersectionality point, because, yeah, we do want um, we do want our program to be all encompassing um, of sort of all aspects of LGBT plus. Um, so one thing we've really consciously done in our business plan for this year is to plan sort of, you know, sort of landmark sort of events, if you like, that focus on each aspect of LG, LGBT. Um, and, and, and just to make sure that we are giving, you know, sort of equal emphasis to, to, to both and, and bringing all viewpoints to the table in that sense. So for example, um, we're, we're planning, one of the events we're planning is a sort of a, a buy and trance, um, lunch and learn session that will be open to everyone, not just the networks. Um, we're, we're sort of looking at speakers to come in to, um, to sort of have a, have a look at that and just sort of educate educate people um do you, do you want to pick up al with some of the other events we're th- thinking of
2: uh sure yeah i mean we as as, as james said we um we, we we try and have a sort of balanced roster and that we make sure that we're representing sort of every part of the community and what we do so we have um lunch and learn events which are focused towards particular parts of the community we recently did a um, a joint event with our women's network where we we watched an amazing TED talk by um Ash Beckham, who's a, an LGBT plus activist in the US, um, which was followed by a sort of QA type discussion between me and the co-chair of our women's network. Um, that was really focused on sort of active allyship, vocal allyship, um, in particular towards uh sort of the lesbian community. Um we are looking, we're sort of we've been thinking about maybe trying to launch like a book club or a film night, um, those sorts of things where we can maybe encourage, um, sort of more informal internal discussions. So we have, we have kind of a bunch of things, uh, going on in terms of events. And then sort of alongside that, we've been, um, we're sort of constantly looking to audit and progress our, um, sort of structural, uh, structural support that we have for employees. So um our our sort of HR team have been recently conducting an audit of policies and benefits through a kind of gender lens. So looking at things like um the introduction of a fertility toolkit, um, sort of support services around that, um, enhanced paternity and said, parental leave policies. Um we're working very closely with the other network um to to make sure that we're um, sort of commenting and, and reviewing those policies and procedures in a in a way that's sort of joined up. And um, so th- there really is kind of a lot of stuff going on. And we're 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 very keen to make sure that we're um involving everybody in those conversations, but we're also trying to sort of keep keep firm management to account in the best way that we can.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think what one thing that always interests me about EDI and the initiatives that you know corporations will will take up is the way in which perhaps sometimes it's sort of framed in a very competitive um, lens. And obviously you have, you know, various LGBTQ plus awards um, and networks and events where, you know, sort of different pride networks are pitted up against each other. um, And and it almost becomes a sort of tick box exercise. Um, So how is that something that you can actively avoid as two individuals that are, you know, passionate about EDI? How do you make sure you keep your focus on Supporting those around you at Sherman Sterling. Well, well I think I
1: think a, a key a key way to do it is sort of you know quality over quantity in in some ways. And so we sort of you know as a sort of smaller network, we do in one one sense we want to sort of try and punch above our weight and do do more. But I do think it's important to actually you know make sure that the events you do do run are really impactful um which is sort of why why we sort of have a specific you know strategic focus in the business plan on on having having an event for all of the aspects of lgb and t just so we can hold ourselves to account and know and know that we're really you know putting equal effort into all aspects um yeah i think there's i mean in terms of the competitive side i mean I think I and I'd say that really comes back to sort of collaboration and 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 sort of you know <laughs> working together you're not sort of in it for the the awards or the recognition in that sense you're you're really in it to sort of come together as a community of individuals and with allies and and really just to get to know people on a personal personal level I mean that's sort of what it comes down to for me because we're all you know as long as busy people beavering away sort of an an unsociable hours in in offices so this is a real great chance to sort of come together and get to know people sort of as 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 people
2: yeah what what i think what what i would add to that is um i i actually do think that some of the kind of things that are seen as competitive uh or or rewards you know sort of pitting people against each other they can actually be quite helpful particularly for for networks that are kind of as small as ours so um I mean we we're actually really proud of the fact that we uh, made it into the top 100 stonewall employers this year which um I know is not everybody's cup of tea but I think for us it's something that we we kind of really proud of but for me anyway the most important point of that entire process is not the fact that we're in the top 100 employers it's the feedback and the benchmarking that we get to do as part of that exercise and we do get you know it's it's a holistic review it looks at policies and procedures it looks at sort of facilities data recruitment retention advancement and for what is a relatively small network like ours it's really important to know what other people are doing and how other people are doing it so that we can then take that best practice and, and implement it here and we have a way to sort of leverage that for um you know for, for our own internal in, internal goals and also making sure that we have a way to promote best practice externally through through that as well so you know i'm I, Although I personally am quite proud of the fact that we, we kind of got into that top 100 this year. For me, the kind of the most important part of that whole process was the feedback session where we, you know, we run through what we're not doing so well and then and then, you know, find opportunities to improve that in the future. Um, I think the other thing that we try very hard to do, as James said, is collaborate externally. So um, one of the things that the kind of the, the legal sector generally does quite well is bringing together smaller networks and finding opportunities for them to work together. And we're a big part of that as a firm. So um, there's there's an organization called Out of America, which basically kind of hosts opportunities for law firms to get together. Um, We hosted the last event, we're going to host the next one. Um, And that's great because it sort of sparks opportunities for people to talk about issues that they're facing in their own workplace, and ways in which they're sort of looking to resolve them. we're we're also involved in uh, an organisation called the General Council for Diversity and Inclusion, um, which which again sort of tries to work collaboratively, um, to 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 sort of promote D&I stuff within law firms, um, uh, across the sector generally, and we we have a kind of leading role in that, but but kind of more internally facing, which I think is a really important point, is that we try and make everything we do as personal as possible. So you know we we have um. James and I are always out and about uh, in, in the firm trying to make sure that we are as visible and open and friendly as possible and that we make sure that people know that we are as equipped as we can be to have difficult conversations with them or to um, have difficult conversations on their behalf um, or to support them in whatever way they they need supporting. Um, and then around that, we try and build... Um, you know, sort of formal support structures, be that through mentoring, through resource lists, through, um, you know, confidential uh, discussion fora, um, to, to make sure that we sort of are having those one-on-one personal conversations with people, so that if they are struggling, they know that there's somebody to turn to and that there's somebody to turn to in the office in a, in a professional way, but in a personal way as well. And so I think that the way for us to make sure that we're, um, you know making structural changes which are right for the organization but we're also providing that personal support is creating that sense of community and creating that sense that that sort of proper um culture i suppose which is is a more intangible thing but it's it's equally important if not more important than you know any accolade you can get from stonewall
0: yeah absolutely and i think it's you know it's really interesting to to see how different companies approach edr and i think that the common theme there is just that really people-centric approach of not only having those support structures there but the the social value that the these networks provide and I just wondered kind of how you know I know a lot of people that I've had conversations with where they've wanted to you know attend an event or you know get a bit more comfortable with networking or reach out to people but you know there's that sort of inner apprehension or, or nervousness perhaps that limits them from that and obviously you know you you were just saying al about how you sort of try and show your face around the company as much as possible but how do you you know how do you be there without sort of overstepping your own personal boundaries of you know burning yourself out or committing too much how do you find that balance between being there for people but also you know as cheesy as it sounds being there for yourself
2: Yeah, it's it's a it's a really good question and it's to, to be honest it's it's quite hard um some sometimes Um, I mean I think uh, for me you know 99% of what we what we do is um, network chairs is great and it's really good fun and I really enjoy it which kind of makes things easy Um, there are you know uh, inevitably circumstances that kind of make you uncomfortable or that make others uncomfortable and that you know that, that sort of in, that 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 discomfort impacts on you as well, personally. Um, and I think one of the things that we're very keen to do is try and, well, one, you know, avoid any of those situations ever arising to the best that we possibly can. But when they do, also recognising that those situations can be difficult and that, um, you know, we, we do sometimes have to have uncomfortable conversations that we need um, support. be able to be resilient about that um i think from from my perspective what, what i try and do to to um sort of make sure that i am as comfortable and confident in myself as possible and to try and encourage others to do the same in the workplace is really to always actively try to be as open about myself as i possibly can and not just about my sexuality, but really about kind of all parts of my life and all parts of my identity. Because engaging with my colleagues about what's going on in my life and what's going on in their lives helps me to feel confident about who I am in the workplace and and makes me feel empowered to be able to have difficult conversations with them or um, difficult conversations maybe on behalf of them or to just understand really what it is that they're going through so I think it's kind of partly building up that network of people in the workplace that I trust and that I like and that I have some said of you know lived experience with and that I know that I can speak to in a difficult situation and trying to make sure that I am that person for as many people as I possibly can be as well um, and then I think the other part really is to make sure that I have that support network outside of work too, because when we come through the front door of the office, you know, we don't just leave everything at home. And, um, you know, I am super grateful for my partner and my friends and my family, knowing that I can talk to them openly about my work life. Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, like that's kind of the, the greatest support network that I have much as I love my colleagues when I go home and can kind of, you know, talk to my cat about, uh, about how I'm feeling each day, you know, that that's something that kind of makes it much easier for me then to go back into work the next day and, um, uh, you know, battle on, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I, I think it is. Um, it's a tricky question. And it's an important one that this, this whole, you know, to do all the things i just described, you really do need your own self confidence in your self assurance. And, you know, that is something that comes out over your career as your building it and it isn't easy for someone you know a graduate just starting out and that's just the reality and you kind of almost you know you'll get a sense over time and I think as Al said it's important to um, you know just be open generally and just to sort of you know personalize yourself in a way and make people around you realize that that you you know you, you have a life outside of work you have a personality you have interests. and I find that once you start doing more of that that Al described you know it just becomes naturally much more easy to be open about your sort of sexuality and the fact you've got a same as the, whatever your case is in my case you know having a same-sex partner um you know you don't necessarily need to blurt that out to someone as the first thing you say if you do have some anxiety around you know coming out in in the workplace or to, you know as we keep having to 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 different people uh you know over the course of your time in the office but but I think if you just do try to, as Al said, sort of find, you know, find your people, as it were, within within your workplace around you um, and sort of just get used to sharing more of yourself around them. It then becomes easier to share more of yourself around others who aren't in that close network necessarily. And and also, you know, an important aspect of you, like your like your sexuality. Um, and I think, yeah, just doing that is a really big part of um you know making others feel able to do it because they may because it may be the person you're having a conversation with or it could be the person who's in the you know kitchen area hears you having that conversation with someone and then feels a bit more empowered themselves to go off and, and do it when they have a conversation with someone else so I think so yeah that that's kind of how I see it.
0: Yeah absolutely um, I thought we could sort of spend a little bit of time now about how the network and yourself sort of support that transition for perhaps young people that are seeking a career in the legal sector or perhaps have recently joined the firm something like that and I remember James we discussed briefly last year the being LGBTQ plus in law conference um, that Sherman holds every year and it's back this year so I thought for those listening perhaps the two of you could just give an overview of the event what it's designed to achieve and what it offers to young people seeking a career in law
1: yes yeah i'm quite excited about this because actually having spoken about it last year i wasn't able to actually make it or make the panel but this year i definitely am so so that's great really looking forward to being on the pal panel with al al and and some others and, and sort of al can maybe talk into a bit what it was like last year what was good and what we're seeking to replicate this year but yeah just to give an overview and plug plug the event it's on it's on Wednesday, the tenth of May, um, at our offices, six to eight PM. So it's sort of an evening event. If if people have plans during the day, and it's really aimed at LGBTQ plus and anyone allies, really students and graduates who are interested in joining the legal profession in general. Doesn't have to be Sherman. Hopefully we'd be one of your your options But anyone who's really looking at law in general, and you know perhaps you know feels or isn't sure if it's for them, or feels slightly intimidated. By the reputation of the profession and wants to explore it a bit more, this event is absolutely designed and intended for these sorts of people, among others. So, so yeah, it will just it will consist of a panel discussion um, followed by sort of an open Q and A with the room and the panel, and and then at the end there'll be a sort of networking session with drinks and canapes with with us uh, members of the network and sort of our broader affinity groups within German. So so that's that was broadly what the format of the event was last year um and, and what it's going to be like this year um we we and we will be you know and, and the content will be geared towards uh, students and graduates as well so we will be looking at you know how how you actually enter the profession in the first place so we will be talking about sort of you know barriers to entry perhaps and and how we're looking at remo- removing them and opening things out and you know into the interview process i mean it won't be a, it won't be a sort of a strict graduate event in that sense but i'm but i'm sure we'll be touching on it um and, and sort of then leading into well what might life look like sort of if you're on an internship or a training contract at the firm, um talking a bit in a bit more depth about our our l g b t q plus initiative that Sherman um, and and really any anything anyone wants to know in in the in the q and a so so yeah, that's my piece, and I'll let Al chip in in terms of sort of how how it
2: went last year and highlights and what he's looking forward to this year as well. Yeah, I think I think from from my perspective, what was really great about last year is that it was a really open discussion, and it was quite honest, and um, everyone was able to to sort of talk about our own experiences as a lawyer working in the law and working, you know, for for law firms and other organisations. Um, and not all of those experiences are are always positive. And I think sometimes talking about some of the negative experiences is is just as important as the positive ones because it means that people who are kind of entering into the profession understand the types of situations that you can be faced with in 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 life and in the profession um, and how you know others have gone about dealing with those um, experiences or circumstances um, in in good ways and in bad ways uh, and and talking about some of the mistakes that we've maybe made along the way as well and what we've kind of learned from those so um, you know, I, I remember last year talking about, I think I was asked a question about, um, how, how it is to sort of work with clients and colleagues from, from different parts of the world where maybe they have, um, you know, sort of different perspectives on, on LGBT plus individuals. Um, uh, and I, I have been very lucky to, to, to have the opportunity to work all over the world, including in some places where, um, you know, uh, things haven't maybe moved on as much as they have in 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 the UK Um, and uh, that wasn't always the easiest thing to do it wasn't always the easiest thing to deal with but it was a part of the career that I chose and um, uh, you know having kind of open open and hopefully relatively frank discussions about that um, I think is helpful for people who are you know thinking about what it really is that they kind of want from their lives and their careers and the types of experience they want. And, um, you know, not not all of that always kind of pulls in the same direction. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that, that that the nice thing is that it's kind of, we try and make it as driven as we can by the people who attend rather than by us. You know, we're not there to kind of tell you about um, how to get a training contract. If you want to know how to get a training contract, you can go on the website and find, find that out for yourself. Um, we're, we're there to talk to people about, you know, what it's like to be a lawyer, um, how ha- how how it you know works to become a lawyer in the sense of um, you know w- what it's like for an LGBT plus person to try and get into the in into the uh into the sector and then you know what what your career might look like after that, um, and it's really interesting to hear from you know students and and, and graduates as well um, about their experiences and what it is that they're kind of excited about or what it is that they're nervous about and all those sorts of things too because um you know some sometimes we can do a bit of myth busting as well for people which is which is good
0: yeah absolutely I think it's great to sort of have that ability to sort of host those events and have that platform for you know those kind of honest conversations those you know discussions about identity and and things like that um I'm interested sort of to get your perspective of kind of how your own sort of personal view of your identity and your you know comfort with you know now being in a role that both of you have where you are sort of advocates for you know the lgbt plus um members of the the company so how is that kind of relationship perhaps with your your sexuality your identity sort of changed as you've uh, gone through both of your careers
2: yeah shall i shall i just do- pin on that one so um i mean i would say that my journey to where i am now has not been a linear one um so i was a not very confident teenager and then a uh, supremely confident person in my early 20s about all aspects of my personality and then uh sort of retreated a bit from that um in, in part as when i was kind of working in some of these difficult places all over the world um but but also in part just because i kind of went from uh i guess like a really great group of friends at university who i knew really well and who i felt really comfortable with into out into the world of work and you know interacting with all sorts of people who um i you know were were less like me in, in lots of ways um and ultimately that's something that i've come to really enjoy about my career but but that's kind of beside the point um but yeah i mean i i would say that my my journey to sort of my my more confident self nowadays has not has not always kind of pulled pulled in the same direction um and it really it really has been a bit of a journey to be honest and i think you know that there were times where i told myself that um i was maybe sort of changing parts of myself or um hiding parts of myself out of circumstance or out of practicality just because it was kind of the easiest thing to do but ultimately that it wasn't really something that was kind of affecting me um, but in, in retrospect, I'm not sure that that's necessarily true. Um, and I think one of the great things about working in, as, as a lawyer and in law firms is that like, generally speaking, I think they are really good about, um, supporting you to be, um, uh, somebody who is kind of comfortable and confident in yourself and also somebody who can empathize with other people because ultimately as lawyers, that is what we're trying to do. we're trying to understand our clients and understand what it is that our clients are worried about or interested in or trying to do and so actually there there's a lot of things about being a lawyer which fit really well with um being an advocate i mean an advocate is is a, is in, you know it's synonymous in some ways with with being a lawyer so it's it's a really it's a really um great sector to work in if, if you're kind of interested in this stuff i think because it it sort of sits really well with um with with what it is that we're, we're sort of trying to trying to do more more broadly um i mean i think it's think, think, i think i've mentioned before that we did um we watched that ted talk by ash beckham and we we had that q a session with um with gabby the, the co-chair of our women's network and and one of the themes that we kind of covered in that was about being brave and kind of active allyship and vocal allyship and not being afraid to kind of get it wrong sometimes and i think for me that's something that i've realized stepping into this role as kind of co-chair and being very visible in that way is um is kind of a brave thing to do to be honest and we come on these podcasts and it's a bit nerve-wracking you know you speak to people and you're kind of worried that sometimes you'll, you'll get it wrong actually it's really important to sort of find the space to forgive ourselves and forgive each other when we do get things wrong and that's a really important part of my personal journey and it's something that I'm still working on but I think it's something that um you know I'm I'm very mindful of and it's something that we talk about quite a lot you know internally too about creating space for people to have um uncomfortable conversations and grow and I think that's a really you know uh, a really important part of, of each of our kind of personal journeys, but also something that we're, we're trying to do as a, a firm generally. So I'm not sure if that answers your question, but anyway, that's, uh, that's, <laughs> that's, that's kind of me and how I've got to where I am and where I'm still
0: hoping to go. Yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you.
1: Yeah, well, I can't, I can't top that really. I mean, it's been a journey for me as well. So I just say say sort of in brief, sort of, you know, actually sort of fairly similar Experiences to Al I guess in in some ways I haven't sort of as a as an English court litigator I haven't <laughs> been able to work all over the world in the same way he has as an arbitrator but but um so I've not had sort of that that same sort of experience in in general but but I mean for me in my own journey I'm just struck by how much things have changed over the last ten years in the world in general because even like before I started um my training contract like when I was doing travelling and going. Going places, you know, where being gay was illegal and going with my partner, you know, there was an, in some of these countries, things, things hasn't changed much, I guess. And then you could actually come back to the UK and feel like, oh, things aren't amazing here either in some ways. You know, this was before David Cameron's government even, you know, legalized same sex marriage in, in, um, in, in some, in you know, part, part of that time period. So but, but sort of overall, I'm struck by how, how much things have changed. And I think, you know, the good news, you know, some, someone like Uzak sort of coming coming down the track, you know, quite a few years later is that I think things are just, you still need to, all the things we've been describing and, you know, been able to have the support, have these difficult conversations and just knowing how to react when you do find yourself in a difficult conversation or you're not quite sure if you do want to disclose this aspect of yourself i'd say that happens and sort of needs to happen less frequently now than it did at the very beginning of my career uh just because you've got people who are better educated now uh you, you know, people who are more open and either know you know they just sort of <laughs> they, they just know a lot more is i, I can't really say it any more clearly than a lot more is out in the open now than it used to be um there was almost like i mean it depends where you were but i certainly got a bit of a sense of don't ask don't tell very early in my career in in law and that's really receding quite a lot now and that really and you know it's great that we're sort of trying you know and what we do are trying to be part of as al said sort of the structural train change but just sort of as individuals your life becomes so much easier when the structural change is happening happening around you um and, and and it and it makes your, your journey to being sort of more open and just your you know your full whole self at working in the wider world so much easier. Um yeah.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's it's really interesting for me to sort of look back on, you know, my my three years of, of university and and how perhaps our sort of perspectives in the UK or globally have kind of changed in terms of the sort of EDI initiatives or through an edi lens i mean i I joined university off the back of um the the death of george floyd and then there was a major conversation throughout my first year university about women's rights and you know sexual assault and protecting you know those kind of um you know things from happening again and now we sort of find ourselves in sort of a massive um conversation and dispute about um diverse gender identity and things like that and I think that the thing that I always find really interesting is rather than talking to my friends about it and and people of, of my age where we kind of sort of see things in a very similar way I actually prefer you know trying to talk to my parents about it or my grandparents because you always find that actually how well do you understand a concept until you can teach someone from scratch it's all well and good having a conversation with someone that you know knows what you're talking about and I think you know that kind of sort of connects with with your roles and obviously you're going to be working in a massive law firm where you know like you say you've got offices across the world and there's going to be lots of different people from different backgrounds different age demographics but then also you are both learning about yourselves about the LGBTQ plus community and the ways in which our perspectives on that are changing too so how do you you know how do you educate others whilst also kind of making sure that you're sort of focusing on your own perspective and your own sort of um I guess curiosity and education of of how EDI is developing too
1: I mean it's a very quick quick turnaround I'd say in some ways you may learn something yourself one day and you know maybe pass it on the next I mean we don't need to all be sort of sages who've known it and done it all before i would say and i guess it goes to al's point about you know not being afraid of making mistakes and and recognize that we are all on the same you know learning track really in some ways going through the same the same experience albeit you know at different stages of of um of, of life potentially so so yeah i think really yeah i think sort of you know increasingly realizing a key part of this job as coach here is very much just to go out there you know, and with, with the sort of benefit of the position of have more of these sorts of conversations, you know, with you or just people in the firm or, or clients than I otherwise would have, then that gives you the chance to have these interactions, have get these learnings, as it were, from other people, from their perspectives, what's happening to them, what they've heard. And then that's really, you, you know, and, and really pass that on. And you're sort of gathering all this, you know, information and collective experiences together. And that's and that's quite empowering, because you you sort of have these stories and experiences that then you're able to relate to yourself and pass on and hopefully help other people relate to. Um, and and sort, of, sort of within that, I guess, is, is you know, in terms of the DNI lens specifically, it's you know, kind of best practices and what other people might be doing, other organizations, how we can bring that into ours and, and, and make it work or aspects of it that are applicable to our organization work work here. So, so yeah. I sort of I I look at it as sort of a quite a quick turnaround time. <laughs> you learn something one day and maybe have a go at implementing it the next.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I think I think the other part of our job, which is is really important, is is trying to add structure and accountability to what we're doing. So making sure that um at a at, at a firm level we are we have a sort of roster of of DNI programs and initiatives. That properly represent the whole of our community, and that where we don't have uh, the requisite knowledge or experience in order to be able to you know d- deliver some resource or deliver some training that we we find the people who do have that be that ex- internal or external um, to make sure that we are educating ourselves as well, and that we're dissemin- disseminating information in a way that is um uh, as, as wide ranging and inclusive and accessible as it can be. So making sure that, you know, that's through podcasts, through resource lists, through lunch and learns, through blogs, you know, book clubs, what, what, whatever it is, um, making sure that we reach as many people as we can in a way that they'll want to engage with and understand. Um, and that we're not shying away from having, you know, difficult conversations where we where where we need to and that we are accessing those parts of our community where, perhaps change is, is not going to be as sort of easy and quick as as it might be with other parts of the community as well, so um yeah I mean I, I think there's uh there, there's kind of lots lots of aspects to this um which already go hand in hand And as, as I think James is totally right to say that we're all kind of we're all learning and we're all at different stages of our learning, but it's about recognizing that um, we all kind of need to pull towards the same goal and making sure that we cater for for everybody in in the best way that we possibly can.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, if you've come across this sort of instance before or, you know, you're faced with it potentially in the future, how do you kind of overcome those instances where you're you're having a conversation, you're working with someone on a, a different team or a client where there's that sort of friction, I guess, from you know different perspectives on doesn't have to be queer issues, can be, you know, gender based, um, racial, you know, social mobility based, etc. But how do you overcome those barriers of perhaps people unwilling to learn? Because, you know, I think the the one thing that I think people are always aware of with these sort of education based events is, you know, those that attend are normally the ones that are willing to learn. So how do you get through to those that perhaps aren't?
2: Yeah, it's really tricky. It's really, really tricky. And I think um, uh, from, from my perspective, what I would always personally try to do is communicate as much as I possibly can with, with somebody, um, particularly where that communication is difficult, um, and to try to understand where they're kind of coming from. But also not to um give up, I suppose, my own moral core or moral compass, um, and and not to kind of be too ready to um change myself or kind of morph myself to to to, to make somebody else more comfortable. And I've I've definitely not always done that. And there are points in my professional life where I look back and wish that I'd um done a bit more to be honest or done something a bit differently um and uh it's taken time for me to kind of reflect on that about sort of who i want to be and who i want to stand for even if it's uncomfortable in a particular moment and 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 sort of crack on anyway um but it's it's, it is it is difficult it is difficult and i think um sometimes it's helpful being in a role like ours because if you kind of professionalize your moral compass in a way, then that gives you a bit of opportunity and leverage to kind of go in and have those conversations in a way that's, you know, less personal and more, um, I guess, kind of disassociated, if that makes sense. Um, but that's not always the right approach. And sometimes you do have to make things a bit personal in order to make somebody understand. Uh, and so I think it's, um, as I say, it's it's partly about kind of being brave Um, and I think uh, the other really important point is, is the one that we've all kind of been talking about, which is recognizing that people are at kind of different places on their journeys. And often, I think the reason people react badly to to change is because they don't really understand it and they're a bit scared of it and they're worried that they'll say the wrong thing or they'll do the wrong thing. And so they end up saying and doing the wrong thing. And so I think, you know, something that we need to do as an organization is, and as co chairs of the network is create space for people to kind of get things wrong and learn from it um whilst still you know making sure that we have a a clear kind of zero tolerance to to you know- r- really sort of bad behavior um discrimination bullying harassment you know those sorts of things so it's 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 tricky it's tricky and it's tricky to have those conversations and they do come up from time to time or there are situations where you are made to feel a bit uncomfortable um and that shouldn't happen, but uh, you know, it's 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 one of the unfortunate realities of the world, I think, and it's something that you know we we as a community are constantly kind of equipping ourselves to do, um, and and we try and limit as much as we can here. Um, That's that sort of impacting on people and supporting them when it does. Yeah, and I would just add, I mean,
1: I just, just very simply, really, from my sort of what, what I'm going to add um i I'd, I'd say you always get you know you get a segment of people who perhaps don't engage but sort of are open to persuasion so i think for those people like the the program and all the things we've been talking about like kind of you just need to keep going with them because it's almost like i kind of see it in my mind it's almost like a you know it's a, in a way it's a war of attrition or eventually they will get the message as More of it goes out. They realise, you know, this is the way the world is changing. I mean, we we've all met people like that, right? Who initially are dead against something, and then they just come around. So I get the sense that there's those sorts of people, and then there and then there are people who obviously just, you know, for whatever reason, just don't engage at all, and just don't want to engage. And it's quite, yeah. I mean, where do you start with those kinds of people? Because you're going to get them in any walk of life, in any organisation um and and in my view you know the the way the way to deal with that is just to get as many people engaged as possible and um you know to go back to all our sort of graduate recruitment type um sort of well the the graduate recruitment focus i think you know you really do need to be looking at your talent pipeline and, and making that as sort of broad and diverse as possible because you know sort of the more people that are coming into the organization you know they're the ones that are eventually going to drive drive the change going back to the point from the beginning about an organisation being comprised of people so that's a real you know it's a really important reason why we do want a broad and diverse um you know base of people coming in to this firm and and you know every, every firm and company frankly mm. so
2: yeah and i think on an organisational level as well i mean one thing that we can be absolutely clear about is our commitment to you know ensuring that as a firm we have a culture that supports and promotes diversity um in, in all of the aspects uh that you know that d and i programs look at um and in all aspects of the firm's initiatives and operations um to, to sort of make sure that the method that's going out to all of our employees whether they're with the program or whether they're not with the program is this is how things work at sherman and sterling these are our values. This is our culture. This is what's important. You know, you need to get on board. Um, And I think that's something that we, we as, you know, in our sort of role as co-chairs are very keen to do. Um, And I think it is, you know, it is something that the firm is is generally speaking pretty good at.
0: Yeah, perfect. All right. Thank you very much, guys. It's been a pleasure to sort of get your insights today about uh, the co-chairs of Sterling Pride. I thought we'd end this conversation today just with perhaps one little piece of advice that you commonly share with others or perhaps was imparted to you as you began your, your journeys um, in the legal sector that you could share with those listening today. Sure. Um,
2: yeah, I mean, I think my... I'm, I'm going to cheat and I'm going to say two things. Um, the, the first is something that I've touched upon quite a lot today is to be brave. Um, you know, you only kind of get things, uh, you only get places if you go for it. So, um, you know, look out for opportunities and, and try to take them, even if it's a bit scary. Um, and my second one would be to be open-minded and that's, you know, something that our community is, is really good at. Um, and I think, you know, often the best things in your career will come to you as a bit of a surprise and, you know, you'll, you'll really enjoy the things that you maybe thought you wouldn't, um. So you know, try and be as open-minded as you can about um, uh, about about your careers and what you want to get from them. Yes, yeah, I
1: definitely echo
2: echo both of
1: those. I mean, for mine, it would just be sort of you know, keep going undeterred because you will get knockbacks and and you might wonder, or oh, is it because of this or that? And ultimately, you know, I don't I don't think it's fruitless to dwell too much on the knockbacks you really just need to keep going and and remember remember where you want to go and and why because it's it is hard work but but it's worth it when you do achieve your goals and get where you want to be
0: brilliant thank you very much guys